My name's Shah and this is Kim and this is our new talk show, Unmasked by Mad Millennials. It's all about unmasking conversations around music and mental health. Okay, so today our first guest on our first ever talk show is you, Shah. So first of all, I just want you to talk a little bit about how this has came about and the birth of Mad Millennials in general. I'm very excited. I will delve in. So obviously we're both super excited. We're calling this Unmasked as obviously what we said at the start, it's about unmasking the conversations around music and mental health. And we're so excited to do this on Voices. I think we both felt like we wanted to combine our passions, a new arm of what we do at Mad Millennials. Um, but as a music artist myself and the co-founder, I've always wanted to find ways of combining both those things. Um, so kind of go hand in hand, in my opinion, and obviously I know for you, avid music fan, gig goer, festival goer, and you're immersed in the new music scene, especially in Leeds, having interviewed lots of bands yourself. So I just feel like we both sort of said we needed to do this. In terms of Mad Millennials, um, it was really born out of my own personal experiences with mental health, and I definitely have been through the the run of it all. And I think it was when I was at uni, leaving uni, that feeling of, okay, so now we're supposed to be an adult and everything's supposed to be all fine and you're just supposed to get on with everything. Obviously that's not how life always goes. I certainly didn't feel like that. And I know there's huge gaps in services with the NHS and we just wanted to create a space that felt for our generation that we could have these conversations, support each other, have a bit of fun doing it, that was kind of outside the normal, inverted commas, um, conventional, traditional ways of supporting people. Amazing. Um, so do you want to just talk a little bit about your own experience with your mental health, share as much or as little as you feel comfortable to do so? Yeah, so someone asked me this the other day and I, I have always been just anxious. I don't really remember a time of not being an anxious person or somebody that just worried about everything. I'd always feel highly sensitive to the world, everything around me, but very much stuck in my own head. Um, I guess quite like emotionally intelligent from a young age, but that wasn't always a good thing because it then made me, you know, just very, very sensitive. And I didn't see that as a good thing at that age. Um, I then kind of had a lot of issues with my self-worth, my self-esteem, treating myself really badly, speaking to myself really badly. But it was really when I went traveling, so I was 19, that everything sort of erupted and came to a head. So I started to have, I kind of call them like sticky thoughts that were just getting sticky and I could feel it just getting more and more intense. I'll explain a little bit about that. Um, but some bad things happened when we were away um, that involved, you know, various sexual harassment um, incidents, varying scales to spiking, to just being 19 years old, traveling around the world and really naive and vulnerable, really. Um, and then it was one night where it just felt like this eruption had just gone off in my mind. And from that point onwards, I felt, I thought I'd died and I'd basically just blanked out all these awful things that had happened. And I spent a very, very long time stuck in this zone um, of intrusive thoughts. And the way I always describe it is if you sit on a platform and you have this horrible thought, you don't want it to happen of just pushing somebody or you're holding a baby and you imagine dropping the baby. Most people would say, yeah, yeah, I've had that thought. Some people, very few, <laughs> would be like, no, never had that thought before. Um, and then what I'll go on to say is, okay, so when you had that thought, you knew you didn't want to do that and it passed you by like a cloud. For me, 
there was no passing by. It was stuck. It was rigid. It was totally irrational, but I couldn't rationalize it. So therefore I thought that I must be all those thoughts. So I am a murdering, paedophilic, psychopathic, narcissistic robber. <laughs> all of those things. Um, you name it. My brain told me that's what I was. And then from being very low and I never felt like suicidal as such at this point, but I certainly hoped I would just be a hundred years old and die tomorrow. Mm. So make of that what you will. It wasn't particularly pleasant um, for a long, long time. And I just thought I cannot cope with this. Like I, I can't see an end. I was very fixated on everything, how it was before. But when I actually look back and the older I get, there were signs for a long time. Um, then it sort of developed into um, panic attacks, panic disorder. I had at the worst, probably about 10 panic attacks a day. It was just a constant panic attack. Ambulances to my house. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, crisis teams. It was, it was dramatic to say the least. Um, and I started uni and I got glandular fever. And I think that was my body's way of going, uh -uh, like, this is not, you're not well, like you need to just heal. Um, so then I went back home, spent a long time in bed, um, thinking that I had brain tumors and cancer and, you know, I'd look in the mirror and imagine a cut on my head wasn't there, like lie in bed, not sleep all night, have panic attacks in the night. And, um, what's it called? You know, when you wake up night terrors, night terrors really fun don't know how I forgot that and then call the doctors first thing go to the doctors and it took so long I don't know how like I was wasting away essentially I was so ill and it just took so so long for them to put all the pieces together and go this is a clearly very unwell 19 year old um and I felt like oh my god I'm 19 I should be I'm turning 20 how is this happening like this is I'm a failure I'm a letdown Oh, it was, you know, torturous. And I think the thing that started to get me out of it, which is why I'm very pro it, but I understand it's not for everyone and it can't just be given out left, right and center was medication. I saw a psychiatrist, went on medication, also had therapy at the same time. Physically, I started to get better from the glandular fever and slowly things improved. Um, I then, you know, I wasn't in that trapped cycle of OCD. Still get very anxious, still definitely the post-traumatic stress from what I went through is very close to the surface sometimes. But what I know now is I have a lot more acceptance, have a lot of compassion for myself. I also know that I did get through that. So heaven forbid, and I spent a long time in fear of everything, you know, getting bad again. But if I did struggle again, like that level, I'll know that I survived the first time. So there's a bit of comfort in that. But it was nearly yeah, 10 years ago now, and it's still difficult to talk about. Like, I'm still anxious when I think about it all. Um, and I'm no way cured, because it doesn't really work like that. Um, but yeah, so that, that was my fun little time. And now it's just about trying to have these conversations and particularly speak about OCD and particularly Puro, which I was talking about, which is much less known, very debilitating, um, and just raising awareness for that and making other people you know, all I had at that time was forums, which I was Googling saying, this is the end of your life. Oh, I've, this is, I've been experiencing this for 10 years. It doesn't get any better. And everyone just making themselves feel worse and worse. So had there been, you know, mine, Samaritans or mad millennials at that time, and oh, I oh. saw something, I know it would have changed my life. Because when I first got hold of a book written by Brani Gordon called Mad Girl, I spoke about Puro something that you've kind of hit the nail on the head is like how important it is for us to be having those transparent conversations. And I think, especially when you work in mental health as well, it's very easy to kind of shy away from the personal, vulnerable conversations around about what's motivated you to kind of be in this field and, you know, what's given you that drive to kind of want to help other people through similar situations. So just a big, massive, like, well done for that. And that's what we need to see a little bit more in the whole of the world. So let's take it back to the beginning in terms of your like music experience and when did you first get introduced to music? How did that come about? So I found a school diary the other day and I was cleaning through stuff. It might have been a journal, maybe an exercise in primary school, but I must have been about seven or eight. 
and I'd drawn out my childhood best friend and annotated all the qualities. And then I drew out myself and I had a microphone in my hand. And it said, when I'm older, I want to be a pop star. And I was like, oh my God, I loved seeing that the other day. Because it just felt like, I know I'd always felt like that, but I lost it for so long. Um, when we're in primary school, me and my friends started a band with called Girls With Attitude. I don't know what about Girls With Attitude we thought we had at the age of eight, but there <laughs> we go. I mean, I found secondary school, the first two to three years, excruciatingly difficult, like horrendous. I don't know how I got through thinking back to how unwell my mind was at that time. I didn't tell my parents, didn't tell anyone really. Um, I did tell friends, but obviously how can you expect an 11, 12-year-old, 13-year-old to have the emotional capacity to handle their friend that they've just known for a few months or something, everything that they were going through? It was just not not a thing. Difficult. The thought of actually singing in front of people felt like another life, another person. But then I was like, in the back of my mind, like, I always just wanted to sing. Like I always wanted to be a singer, always wanted to pursue music. So it's after uni that I thought, oh, you know what, I feel I feel well enough now and I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to start. It's only really in the last year or two that I finally feel like I'm starting to find my feet, have the freedom to back myself and put myself in uncomfortable situations, not dangerous situations, but out of my comfort zone. Um, and then it's just kind of gone from there. My dad is a massive music head, like he loves music. He's got vinyl players, vinyls everywhere. We've always spoken about music. He's helped me write some songs before. Um, so whilst I don't come from a musical family in that sense, music and conversations around it have always been prevalent. What does mental health mean to you? So like our minds want to protect us. It took me so long to accept that. So I was like, how on earth is something that's meant to protect me firing at all cylinders and making me feel so absolutely horrendous? You know, fear, like panic, distress, anxiety, all these things. I was like, none of that's protecting me. I'm sure of it. And I always think of that faulty fire alarm analogy where the fire alarm is there, you know, to, to get us out, to save us but it can't detect when it's burnt toast. Mm. And my brain felt like that for so long. A pin dropped on the floor, literally a pin, and my brain felt like someone was whacking me over the head with 10 frying pans. And I'm like, oh, stop being so dramatic. It's just a pin I've dropped on the floor. But my hypervigilance and nervous system was so heightened. And that's something that comes back quite easily, you know, when I'm under pressure. And I'm sure many people can relate to that. To me, mental health is health. The whole one in four thing, I get it because it was obviously there to highlight how common mental health struggles are. But that is, it's, that it still feels very us and them. And then it stops a lot of people from getting help. We all have mental health. It is just health. So I think very much things operate on a spectrum. Some people have much more serious um, situations with their mental health, whether it is a diagnosable illness or their life circumstances, but we all have mental health. Well, so if anyone is interested in the science behind it, you've basically got this thing in your brain, which is called the amygdala, and that is basically your security system. And the way that it's being explored is that basically when you're in a stress response or a trauma response, that security guard is very hypervigilant and he'll be going around, he'll be thinking that there's people in the building when it's closed and there's not. And basically, that's why it's really important to be able to have your coping strategies and, you know, being able to be in the present moment because by doing that, you're telling the security guard, like, just you need to stop it. Like, you're just panicking over too much and you're kind of bringing yourself back. So the first song of the show, I want it to be one of your own so people can get a little bit of a vibe for you. People can understand what kind of music you're putting out there. So yeah, I would absolutely love to do that. I've just released a Control, which was my original song, um, a remix by Jersey Bulks. It came out on Lady of the House on last month, which is very exciting. So yeah, I'd love to play it. Shah, Control, remix by Jersey Bulks. Take control. So never mind what the rules just stop me
absolute banger by the way like you already know it's on like me like songs and every time it comes on like love that a vibe a vibe um so this was quite an exciting project for you as someone who knows you behind the scenes as well so do you want to just talk a little bit about the process that came with this song definitely so as i say it was my first ever release the original to this so it's special in that sense to have jersey bulks do his thing really amplify it make it a house I'm going to say banger because it is, um, was great. And then it got picked up in a competition that I applied for. So this new music uh, label, women sort of led, was called Lady of the House. They ran a competition. The judges were Becky Hill, Jaguar, no less. <laughs> and um, it was basically four winners. So I didn't win, but I was shortlisted from, I don't know, they said hundreds and hundreds of applicants. So I'm going to take that. Um, and they still wanted to release it. So we put it out on the label, which is so exciting to have, you know, the backing and support and the validation, which does help. Um, and then I got contacted by BBC Introducing, the main social page. They do this thing where they get artists to do mashups. And they said to me, do I want to pick a couple of songs that informed it, inspired it? So I did, I did a Fred Again song an Artful Dodger song, and then they also played mine too. So, yeah, it was great. And it was amazing to kind of see behind the scenes that, like, process for you as well. Like, it was yeah. really interesting to just be on the sidelines of that and kind of see how much work and graft goes into it as well. Oh, like... my God, 100%. Like, you can't just get your phone out, sing. You know, I had to do the audio, send that over to Mixer, add the instrumental then do a video, add that to that, then send it off, get the logos and stuff put on it in a very short space of time. It, yeah, it's it, like everything, you know, behind the scenes, especially in creative fields, especially in the music industry. What you see, what you hear is a finished project. Yeah. So when you did BBC introducing like your mashup, you introduced the song by kind of talking a little bit over the track about like pure L. Yes. Um, so obviously that leads me to thinking that, you know, some of the songs that you're writing are kind of motivated with mental health themes and stuff like that. 
is that something that like you consider in the songwriting process or how does that go down yeah absolutely I mean I say write about what you know and I know that so I've got to bring that in and find ways to do that and I don't hear a lot about puro in any songs so I just felt it worked to do it in that circumstance but yeah I mean all of them have an undertone of self-doubt versus self-belief and the, the darkness of mental health struggles but the light at the end of the tunnel that kind of counterbalance and I want people to find hope in them and to be able to have like a cathartic experience but just being able to move have a dance or just sit in your feels but then also listen to lyrics around things that I care about and talk a lot about um, is super important for me, yeah. See, I think there's something so powerful about listening to a song and feeling like you're not the only person in the world mm. who's ever felt like that. Mm. So what's your songwriting process like? Is it kind of like you get an idea and then you run with it or like you have scheduled like studio time and then kind of do it then or? I think at the start I was very much voice noting a lot of the time like my voice notes every artist's voice notes is just song ideas mm. like it's insane I need to start labeling them because it's getting a bit chaotic um so yeah I would do that a lot of the time and it would be random melodies random lyrics a lot of it when I was driving then recently I've been going into sessions and in the past I wouldn't have dreamt of going into a session with without an idea because the fear of just having to come up with something on the spot but a lot of the time I have just gone in with no clue what we're going to write about, no idea, and then come out with a with a fully formed song. And you're like, that's crazy. How has that happened from a blank page, essentially? Mm. Um, also, I, there's certain things I know I want to talk about, and it's just finding the right time and in the right way. That idea of... I wrote a song um, last year called Thin Skin, which I haven't released yet. Hopefully that will be released this year. But it is what it says on the tin. It's, I've got thin skin. And it's like, you may say, I got thin skin, I need a moment to let things sink in. And it's just kind of, it's all right to be sensitive. And I really just wanted to say that because for so long when I was growing up, we were like, stop being so sensitive. Like, you just need to get a thick skin. And I spent so long thinking that was the case and now trying to lean into that. So that, for instance, knew I always wanted to write a song about that, didn't know how or when, got into a writing session and it just came together really easily. Yeah, some is just like, mm, we'll see if I'm in the right mood when that comes out. Others will probably never hear the light of day. I've got loads of really, really random song voice notes. Maybe I should sit and, you know, go over them. But equally, they're all part of the process. Mm. And then a one tiny bit of an idea will then maybe come into a songwriting session that you had ages ago. But the whole thing's changed. So obviously the music industry had a big massive like switch up with COVID and everything that happened there how did you feel about it because I know a lot of musicians have a lot of different views on it some people thought it was good some people thought like you know it was the worst thing that could have happened to the creative <sighs> industry I mean much like the entertainment industry sorry much like the hospitality industry entertainment was not far behind in how destructive COVID was and look don't get me wrong I was a, a very privileged lockdown experience. Mainly my days consisted of waking up, going for a jog, sunbathing, and then drinking Aperol spritz every day repeat, every day repeat. Um, it was really quite nice for the first few months. But then it started to dawn on me and I started to get really low because quite like everyone, we couldn't see an end to it. And that kind of holiday honeymoon period, which you know I'm nervous to say because I know it wasn't the case for everyone, but for me, once that started to come to an end and I could just feel like my 20s were just zooming on by and I was actually nowhere and it was nothing I felt I could do. I mean, I just started doing shows. So January 2020, February 2020, I had two headline shows in London and I really got the buzz for it. I felt like I could finally see how that could be a thing that I could do. You know, I did it. So I was like, oh, this is great. Like I can envisage it now. I can feel it. I can touch it. And then COVID. So that was a massive blow. And I'd already booked in a few more shows, obviously got cancelled and pushed back. I think if it happened now, given how I'm much further along, I've made connections and I've done a lot of remote like um, writing sessions. 
I didn't really do any of that mm. at the time. I didn't really have the knowledge of how to. So I think I was on pause, whereas I can see for a lot of musicians that, you know, they, they were making music constantly, it probably gave them more creative time. So I think I would have used my time differently. Obviously, in hindsight, we all say that now than then. But it was a disaster, you know. I was completely... I felt like everybody does with their, their age, that it was the worst time for it to happen. But it really mm. did feel like that. You know, mid-20s, sunny or late-20s. And what's actually happened and what have I achieved? Really beat myself up about that. But, you know, it was a global pandemic. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah, definitely wasn't your fault. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. Um... So let's talk a little bit now just about the music industry in general and how that can impact our mental health, your mental health, anyone who's working in it. Because again, a lot of musicians and people in the music industry have lots of different answers to this question. So first of all, talk a little bit about the things that negatively impact your mental health around the music industry. I think the biggest thing for me is comparison. It is looking around, seeing what other people are doing. How did they get that opportunity? Why haven't I got that opportunity? They're better than me, you know, constantly. And yes, we know how subjective taste is and what people like. It's also pretty obvious when you're like, that person is just really, really good. I, I just don't think I'm as good as that. And then you just get down a really dark hole rather than going, okay, but I am good at this and I'm gonna parge a for, a, forge a path, parge a thought, forge a path in a certain different direction. So I get really low about that. And then it takes the joy out of listening to music. Then you go, well, I can't listen to that because I'm not as good and I won't be able to do that. And that's that's dark because the whole point of doing music and making music is because we're also music fans. I think also this whole numbers thing, this whole metrics thing, you get so stuck in your head because it's so clear as day. This artist has got this million streams and I am looking at a thousand streams like there's no sort of subjectiveness about that that is clear as day factual data why am I not doing that and obviously there's a multitude of reasons you know you haven't got the budget you haven't got the reach yet you haven't got the connections yet maybe it's not as good at that point all these things but all it boils down to is I'm not good enough and I will never be good enough and I'm an embarrassment for even trying and I get to that point so quickly and regularly and I know for me I'm a validation seeker I always have been I need my friends to tell me I'm okay that I'm normal that I'm sane I need people to tell me I look nice I hate that I am like this but I am I want to soak all the validation I can up and I think a lot of artists relate that's why we stand on stage and we're like essentially love me tell me I'm good because I can't do that myself mm. Um, and because it's so intrinsically linked to your self-worth, to who you are, it's like the biggest rejection when you put a song out and it's not getting anywhere or somebody hasn't liked it or shared it. It shouldn't be down to that. Mm. But because we're made to see these facts and figures and what actually does well is the facts and figures and it's horrible and obviously some artists can be like no I love the creator thing I don't care what the numbers are I'm making music for me yes that does feel nice at the start but I'm I can't be like that like I mm. I, I just can't I, I need to I need to be loved <laughs> tell me I'm good so that that's yeah I could talk about that for a long time that that's where I get to with the negative and I think it's so easy these days to compare yourself to other people because it's not just like we were talking about this earlier it's not just Spotify it's not just YouTube it's not just Facebook it's not just there's so many different platforms now that you've got to kind of be present TikTok on. don't yeah. even get me started yeah. I mean we are millennials as you know I feel like we we grew up with Instagram like we're like yeah we you know that's our bread and butter we don't you know we're not anything crazy on there but we know what we're doing now TikTok's come around and it I feel ancient and I know that's ridiculous because I'm not but I'm just, I really struggle with that one. Yeah. And we're basically now told as as artists, if you don't have a TikTok presence, you are not successful and you will not be successful. I saw a really interesting video the other day. Can't remember where I saw it, but it was artists kind of talking about this and exposing it a little bit, like really big artists saying, 
that you know the the record labels and stuff are expecting them to then put out content on TikTok when in the olden days like well not olden days but before there was social media that wasn't a thing it was all down to the record label to do all the promotion yeah. sides of it they'd put up the posters mm. they'd hand out the leaflets and yeah. look I get that the model's different now people want fans want an interaction with their artists you know there's nothing quite like it then you you having that one-to-one kind of feeling mm. but the pressure then that puts on people like you say that's the big artists that are feeling the pressure you know this year we've had Sam Fender, Arlo Parks, big artists um, who have come up in the last couple of years and they've had to pull out of touring and they're doing objectively well yeah then for artists who are up and coming or just getting started who you know don't even don't have that money behind them or they don't have that success yet there's two sides to it like both are struggling both ends are struggling Mm. that's really tough yeah definitely so let's go a little bit more positive and cheery then (laughs) shall we um do you want to just talk about the positives the protective factors within the music industry yeah i mean for me like there is no feeling like it than being in a session time just escaping you you have, you're excited, like you're, you're fueled by what you're creating. Like it's, it didn't exist an hour ago. That is an amazing feeling. Being in that space with creative, interesting people, the conversations that arise from that. I always like to just chat before, see what we're talking about and see what happens. Um, And then actually when you get that song back for the first time, whether it's just the bounce and you go home on the train, you put your AirPods in and you listen to the song you've just done, 20 times over and then you sit around drinking red wine with your best friend and playing it loudly it's like ah that is a great feeling that I can't even describe and that's without the validation like that's that's funny because that is just you like that's just me at that point I haven't even okay I've said I've played it to my friend I'm waiting for that reaction but I'm already happy with it and that's why I played it to them to share in that is when you release it into the world that's when it can be crushing Positive, being positive. Then performing live. Yes, I get nervous. Like, I really do. And I can't see that ever going. It's gotten easier, but it it doesn't go. But I know that I can do it. So I think it's that, okay, you're going to feel nervous. You know the drill here. Mm. But you know what to do now. You know how to move on stage. You know what to say in between. You, you know, you can do this that helps it's not about pushing the nerves away it's just about moving through it um yeah the feeling of just singing and people people like you know engaging with it and liking it and coming up to you after and I know I'm trying not to do all the the validation stuff because a lot of it is that but the feeling in your body the adrenaline being all fired up and then getting excited for the next one planning the next one yeah I love I love both of those sides of things and how that makes me feel that's electric that's feeling alive and there's a reason why we keep going even though it's fucking difficult is because of those moments it's really interesting that you've mentioned that about kinds of losing track of time when you are in the studio because in terms of like well-being and psychology they say that there's like five kinds of pillars of well-being and one of them is engagement and what they talk about within that stage is being in flow, being able to lose track of time, being able to be completely absorbed in an activity that, you know, your brain isn't running 20 million miles an hour with all the thoughts about things that you should have done last Mm. week or, you know, embarrassing memories or, you know, self-limiting beliefs. So this is a perfect time to introduce song number two, I believe. So this is your mood booster song that you'll put on to kind of hype you up, give you the vibes. Yeah, make me feel good. Okay, bit of a rogue one here. And it's really only been in the last couple of years. I don't know where it's come from, but I've just become this like loving 80s music and putting on tears for fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. Just really gets me going. I love it. I really do. I just I just want to jump up and down and like fist pump. It's so lame. I don't know why. Putting it on at uh, afters with your friends and it's probably what no one wants to hear. But I am like looking at everyone like it's certified bangers and mash bangers and mash bangers and mash as i know you recently jumped out of your comfort zone massively and did a live performance in the big apple new york city itself do you want to talk about that 
Oh, I'm, like New York has been a dream for so long. I know it's probably many people's. It's not particularly unique in that way. In that way, but I've been obsessed with the idea of going, and the opportunity came around, and it meant you know me flying on my own, which I have done before, but spending a lot of time on my own in a new city, New York. Like it's you know <laughs> no, not small. It's not it? yeah. small. Definitely not small. So it really was out of my comfort zone, but I feel like it was the right time to do it. It's given me such a buzz. And I think I just it's just opened my eyes. I know it sounds a bit lame, but just to what's around me, having conversations with people. Normally I'd be like, oh, I, can't be, like I can't be bothered, you know, I'd get about my day. And I feel like I'm much more kind of, you never know what's going to come out of a conversation. You never know what you're going to get invited to or who you're going to meet. And I've kind of carried that through in the last few weeks and I'm going to keep out that one. I just never thought that would even be a possibility, but they were great to work with. It came together really well. I found two amazing musicians, Cole and Franklin, who were just absolutely brilliant. We had one rehearsal when we were out there and even that was funny. Even though I was like on holiday, I loved the idea that I was kind of going to work. And I, yeah, I was just in my element. I felt great. I really enjoyed it. And I got good feedback. My brother was there and he's come to most of my gigs. So he's quite, you know, he, he he knows the progression and he's, I love him to pieces. He's my best friend, but he's a man of few words, you know, mm. he doesn't over dramatize like I do, but he was like, yeah, you were really good. Definitely the best, definitely the best you were. And my friends were all saying that. I was like, that means so much. Yeah, so I'm so. going to take that. It just went well. Yeah. And for that, I'm so grateful. But yeah, I think in terms of what I do to calm myself down, it is just about my get, making sure my mood is okay. So just really trying to give off good energy, be nice to the people around me. You feel that back. Get there really early as well, because I'm I'm often running around like a headless chicken. I'm always late to things, but I make sure on gig day it's just I get there early. Like I'm always the first one because I'll I think a lot of musicians are like, yeah, we'll just add on a few more extra hours after the you know the set times. Get there early, take my time, and then I must give a shout out to our lovely May because she is great with voice notes like encouraging voice notes and she sent me a dreamy one just before I went on stage and I saved it just before and I was like in this little cubby room listening to it like in my ear and I was like yes I've got this I've got this and I went on and I was like yeah I can do this <laughs> I so am great. a bad bitch yeah, I've got this I've got this <laughs> and put till you make it well I mean I was having this conversation with my dad the other day and how you know obviously the music industry is completely turned on its head but how in the older days, labels would take a risk and a gamble mm -hmm. and they would put all the work in, all the money in to sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't, sometimes it would go fantastically well, sometimes it really wouldn't. It was a risk, but that was what happened. I mean, the downside of that is because they didn't have any other way to, to look at metrics, really. You know, they, they heard a demo and they go, OK, can we make this work? Is there a market for it? Push, push it. The downside, you know then was that not many people would get that opportunity and there wasn't huge range now anyone can release music that's amazing but it is oversaturated we know that and obviously because of that it means that labels are only going to invest and support the artists who are already there arguably could just carry on being independent because they've already got their fan base it just takes them to another level you know, I don't want to criticise labels too much because they're a business and that's what they do. And, you know, there's individuals behind them that really do care about music and they have a huge capacity for massively expanding someone's career. But it's not like I've had in my head, need to get a label, need to get a label. Like, that's not the end goal. But it does feel really hard to get to a, a space where your music is far-reaching when you haven't got a big budget or a budget at all and you need people to hear your music and it is marketing and yes platforms like tiktok have been really helpful for some artists it's not going to work for everyone so where does that leave a huge amount of people so i want to just come back to you as a person now and talk about is the certain things that you do coping strategies or just things that protect and promote your i mean i'm like the definition of not practicing what i preach <laughs> i'm very good at you know, talking to my friends, being supportive, knowing what is good for for them. When it comes to myself, I can often just 
leave it on the back burner and plough on. So I think trying to find ways to keep the balance is essential. Yeah. How do you keep the balance? Um, I'm getting better at it. I think it's trying to listen to your body, which I spent <laughs> so long doing when I was in state of panic attacks that every niggle was something severe, i.e. I was having heart attack. So I felt very angry at my body for so long. Like, why are you giving me a tight chest? Why, what is wrong with me? I'm shaking. But now I'm trying to go, mm. okay, that was when I was very unwell. That's a different circumstance. If now, when I'm generally, you know, coping and enjoying my life, if I'm feeling physical things going on, listen to them, what's it telling me? Do I need to sit this one out? Do I need to just, you know, sit back for a bit or not post on Instagram for a couple of days or whatever that might be, trying to be a bit more intuitive. I am always been very intuitive, but listen to that a lot more, act mm. on that. Um, I also keep the balance by flipping between what I'm doing, like doing Mad Millennials and doing music. Yes, we've talked about how there's similarities and how we want to continue that arm, but it is different things and it's a different way of using my brain. I think that's important when I'm feeling a bit down in the dumps that my song's not stratospherically enormous. I'm like, well, you know what? There's some really exciting things happening with my millennials at the moment. Going to put my energy into that for a few hours, a few days, and then pick myself a bit up and then dip back into music. Some people might say that's not me being focused enough, but it's two massive areas of my life and naturally they're going to ebb and flow with where things are happening. So I think not getting too down and knowing when to switch my attention mm, definitely is there any other triggers that you can think of that are quite present for you um so obviously yeah the the sleep and all of that kind of malarkey that goes with that you know say no more but friendships has always been a biggie for me i have always been you know obsessed with the idea of female friendships, best friends, you know, what you get from that. I am the biggest advocate of how important they are and how amazing they are. And But that has meant at times really struggling if there'd been maybe a fallout, conflict, confrontation, to the point where I just couldn't think of anything else. And I think I've now, in the last year or so, just trying to ease up on that and let things ebb and flow, move into place, move out of place, shift, change, shape, shift rather than everything needs to be perfect. All my relationships with everyone in my life that I love, they need to know I'm thinking about them all the time, even if I can't follow through with the next message. You know, it's okay that it's taken a few weeks. Like, I need to be confident enough and know my friends love me, I love them. It's impossible to see everyone as much as you want to. Mm. And it shouldn't be whack-a-mole, you know, you whack one and the next week you're like, oh God, I've got to see that one now. Like, that's not how it should be. And just having a bit more trust and faith in the friendships that I've formed over the years, but also enjoying making new ones. So that's also important. Definitely. I think, again, it's the most cliche thing, but everything in life is a balance. And, you know, if you can kind of balance all the things that are going on, you know, work, relationships, things that you've got going on on the outside as well. Like, you know, so many of people our age now have passion projects mm. as well. That, that needs It's encouraged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's all about kind of just being able to balance that as much as possible. We've just mentioned about how mad millennials have got like quite a lot of exciting things coming up and I just want to kind of just give us our moment because yeah, please do. It, it's just sick, <laughs> it is sick what we're doing and I think just to give you guys a little bit more of an understanding mm. of where we come from in terms of mad millennials, um, we're a non-profit organisation for millennials by millennials all about opening up those transparent conversations and kind of just giving each other, you know, that little bit of a nudge. Because I think, especially with social media, the way that it is, you look at someone's life and you see this perfect picture and, you know, this absolute filtered life and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm so behind, like I'm failing. Yeah. And it can really get into your head. And we just wanted to create a community and a safe space and just a place where people feel like they can be their authentic selves mm. whilst being able to explore 
their mental health and you know navigating the world as a millennial and what coping strategies might look like for them and mm-hmm. you know what it might look like when they are kind of feeling the struggling with the mental health and just being able to be raw and pure about it so that we can you know have these conversations and nip it in the buds before yeah. it does get too far along and yeah. also like people that maybe fall in the cracks of systems and support and they haven't found their people yet we want to be your people yeah and if we individually are not then we'll find it we'll create that space like that's what we're really passionate about you know the event that we did in summer like every time we think about it we just feel like oh, it was so yeah. wonderful and special and it was all about shining a light on different people that we couldn't speak for them mm-hmm. but they should be able to have that platform to have these kind of conversations facilitated by us as much as we can Definitely. and that's what we want to carry on doing and all the different arms that we've got going on they're, they're very interlinked you know it's like yeah we'll see which one really flourishes but all of them have potential and they're all encompassing everything that we're doing yeah um yeah i so think exciting. on the back end of that as well just to share a little bit about the event that we did do because it was just it felt so refreshing and so progressive in terms of things that I've been to in the past about mental health, like, you know, professions and chats and stuff like that. So we had panels on conversations that we felt needed to be had and were necessary to be had that just weren't being had as much as they should be. You know, still there's taboos around them. There's still stigmas around it. So we did three different, like, panel discussions. So the first one was on kind of mental health in complex mental health conditions so you know a little bit past the kinds of anxiety and depression that is being normalized to a certain extent but all the other mental health conditions are still so much further back and just kind of trying to shine some light on that and then the second one was all around kinds of gender and sexual identity and how that can impact mental health and just opening up the conversation more so even if that's not something that you've struggled with directly you can kind of start to understand and people. educate yourself, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, culture and mental health and the impact of that as well. And I just think it was, it was just such a refreshing kind of event. And that's obviously what we want to do more of. Mm. And we do want to be your people. And yeah, just check us out because the more that you kind of hype us up, the more we can hype you up. So yeah. you know, it's definitely. Um, something to check out and we've got merch as well we do no one's got their shit together we can um, and there are some really exciting projects that we're gonna delve into this year to chat more i was just thinking something as well on on the social media thing that just popped into my head back to that thing of um comparing there's people that I I know, you know, friends or haven't seen them in a while or something i'll be like you look like you're doing so well at the moment you're smashing it just so lovely but then I'm like, but it is just, a, I know it looks like that, but it isn't, like, I don't feel like that. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, obviously a couple of years ago, I'd have gone, oh, I'd love to get that BBC introducing, that's amazing, like, life made. If that happens, so the, I know the, the, like, the barrier just keeps on moving as we go, but it's also just remembering that that's not always the reality. There is stuff going on behind there so i need to remind myself of that as well i just wanted to definitely yeah. that's something that i've been talking a lot about lately is how much the goalposts change once yeah, you've it. kind of achieved something like you know it could be something that you've dreamed about for absolute years and then once you get it like you get this big massive kind of spike of mm. high emotion and stuff like that but then that becomes your new normal and then you're on to the next and it's normal for a goalpost to move you know what you wanted at one point what you could see in the vision is naturally going to move but it's that constant chasing feeling and I mean I don't feel like I'm stuck in that yet because I'm not nearly where I want to be but let's say I am who's to say that I will be satisfied so I know it's about enjoying the journey as we go on but I do like a bit of validation it's being happy in the moment homie um so I want to play your last song but before we do that do you want to talk a little bit about what plans you've got for the future anything that we can kind of be expecting or excited about Yes, so I'm going to be working towards my new releases. Last year was all about writing for me. So I've got quite a lot of songs in the bag that I need to get to the finish line, figuring out the release path, which, you know, is pretty stressful. Um, But yeah, just having the faith and the confidence in them and just seeing what people make of it. I also want to get in a new London headline show because it's it's been a little bit of a while and I'm gallivanting around New York. I need to come back to from the Big Apple to the, to the Big Smoke. 
So I think probably after summer, I mean, I'd love to say I was doing some festivals this summer. I've applied, so we'll see, fingers crossed, maybe something. Um, but I will definitely be getting a big headline show towards the autumn. So watch this space when it comes to that. And also, yeah, check out the BBC Introducing mashup I did and my new song um, at Char Music UK and obviously my millennials. Boop, boop. Yeah, so for the last song, I want you to play something that you would play when you're in your feels, when you're feeling a little bit emotional, just need something to kind of have that release and gladly. So I am a big Marabou State fan from like 2012, Scarlet Groove, loved it. Groove, Grove, now I'm doubting myself. God, really a great fan. Um, and their song Midas, I absolutely love. It takes me back to Glastonbury, sunny afternoon, on my brother's shoulders, beer in hand, just unreal. Um, and me and my best friend got the tattoo of Midas on us. Because, I mean, it means everything you touch turns to gold. There is a dark side of that, which is, you know, you can get greedy, but I still haven't got the gold yet. So I'm happy to keep that going for a bit. <laughs> I love it so much. So yeah, enjoy Maribu State Midas. So it has been an absolute pleasure. We've been talking about me interviewing you in this kind of mm -hmm. process for so long. So it's been great to actually do. And it's been great to start our, our radio show. I know, it's so exciting. What a time to be alive. So check live, us laugh, out. Love. Yeah, live, laugh, love. Hype us up. Buy <laughs> our merch. Come to our events. Be our mate. And yeah, 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 we'll catch you on the flip side. We sure will. Thank you, my darling. Thank you. Yeah. Voices Radio Voices Radio Voices as a radio <laughs> Voices Voices Radio Radio